We respectfully acknowledge the University of Arizona is on the land and territories of indigenous peoples. Today, Arizona is home to 22 federally recognized tribes, with Tucson being home to the Autumn and Yaqui. Committed to diversity and inclusion, the university strives to build sustainable relationships with sovereign native nations and indigenous communities through education offerings, partnerships, and community service. episode of the PA Path Podcast. I'm your host, Kevin Lohenry, and we are glad you could join us as we seek to better understand the PA profession. I was the fourth civilian PA in Canada, uh, regulated through the college, and so I had an opportunity. It was either sit back or step up. Well, hello, and thank you for joining us today as we speak with Mr. Ian Jones. Ian is a Canadian and American certified PA, a former Canadian Forces Reservist, and a national leader of the Canadian PA profession. Ian's timing on our podcast was perfect in that we are now supported by my new institution, the University of Arizona, which has deep ties to the lands of Indigenous peoples in Southern Arizona. They are deeply respectful of that fact and have a land acknowledgement prominently displayed and discussed throughout. Likewise, Ian shared his institution's land acknowledgement in Manitoba, and we think you will feel his deep respect for that history and the Indigenous peoples in Canada. For those who are unfamiliar, please check out our website for additional information on why these acknowledgements are so important. And today, Steph and I speak with Ian about his path to becoming a PA, his return to his home, and the direction of the Canadian PA profession. As always, you may learn more about our guests and their institution and passions on our website at papathpodcast.com. Enjoy. Good morning, hey, yeah. Ian. Good morning to you. Ian, thank you so much for joining us today. We're really excited to have you and to learn about Canada and also about your path to becoming a PA. It's been a while since I've, I've talked to my American cousins, but uh, um. yeah, well, and I would say, I think Steph and I have a little bit of Canada with us, right? Because Steph is married to a Canadian. Yep. And, yes. And yeah, I, I remember that. And I did my interprofessional training at the University of Toronto. So in Manitoba, we pronounce it Toronto. 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 <laughs> Good to know. <laughs> yeah, that, so my husband's my husband's from London and he hates he always laughs at people say Toronto. He's like Toronto. Toronto. Just Toronto. Just Toronto. It's like two syllables. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks for the lesson. I appreciate it. I've been offending my my teachers for a while now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Ian, why don't you start by telling us about your path to becoming a PA? First, I just need to do a land acknowledgement that I'm broadcasting from the uh, the University of Manitoba, which is on the traditional territory of the Anishabi, uh, Cree, Ojibwe, Cree, Dene, Dakota, and the homeland of the Métis Nation. Um, Thank you. It's really important that uh, uh, we remember that uh, the land we share and the wisdom that we uh, uh, are partaking in has been here for a long, long time. So, That's so, wonderful. Thank you. Yeah. Part of what we do. So you had a question. <laughs> yeah. So your, your path to becoming a PA. Okay. Um, a long time ago in a uh, province far, far away, I was a army cadet. I joined the uh, Canadian Armed Forces Reserves. 
liked what they were doing in the medical units because uh, it allowed me to go out on a whole lot of different operations and exercises. Found that I was really good in chaos. And uh, from there, uh, started working on the ambulance service. From there, I became a firefighter paramedic and suffered a life-changing back injury, losing old sensation in my right leg and not able to carry my kids, that type of thing. Mm-hmm. So I uh, did an acumen test to about what I could do because I didn't want to keep being a fire inspector. And it came up with three possibilities. It said postal inspector, uh, fire inspector, and it said this weird names called physician assistant. And this is back in oh, the 80s. And I had never heard of physician assistants in Canada. I was in Edmonton at the time. So um, being a smart guy, I got on the computer, uh, got connected to the American Academy of Physician Assistants, who told me that there were a couple PAs working at this place called the University of Alberta Hospital. And if uh, did I know it? And it was quite funny because I was actually looking at it out of my window. Uh, and they told me what unit they were on. So I made some connections. I met a PA named Jan Ertz, who was a graduate of Kittering, who was actually from Alberta. He had uh, gone to school in Ontario, then ended up in going to Kittering and was working in cardiac sciences. And so I met him and I met a student named Norm Bison, who was also from Alberta and fell in love with the profession. I thought, this is right. This is something that I want to do. Got a undergrad degree in physiology, uh, applied to five PA programs in the States, got rejected by all of them Woo-hoo. and um, worked on my application. The following year, I applied to two and was lucky enough to get into the University of Washington Medics Northwest PA program, where Ruth Baldwig took me under her arm and basically shaped me into something that I am today. And as we all know, Ruth is uh, a force to be reckoned with. Yes, she is. Yeah, she's tenacious. In fact, she she is opening up season two for us, and you're the second episode. So how how perfect that you're following Ruth. Oh, oh, yeah. I think everybody follows Ruth, uh, <laughs> to be honest. Um, so I graduated from uh, uh, medics. I worked locally part-time. Position came up in Alaska, in Skagway. I uh, went to, and I wanted to do rural primary care because... I thought the PA profession would be perfect in Canada, but I needed to see how it worked. So I ended up in a, the uh, booming metropolis of Skagway, Alaska, population 450 in the winter, uh, 3,000 uh, residents in the summer, and 15,000 tourists a day. Got quite the education. Uh, my supervising physician was in Juneau and I usually talked to a lot to the emergency department. After a year, my wife was kind enough to say, get me the hell out of here. (laughs) And uh, since I wanted to keep my wife, we did. And so I moved to the last place in the world that my wife wanted to work, which was Juneau. And I fell in love with it, spent six years there. And then uh, Manitoba was calling. Manitoba is a province. And so 
I decided it was time to move my family back home and ended up in the city I was born, working in neurosurgery. I mean, all of it is history, but yeah. Yeah. Uh, so I'm curious, the, the experiences you, you obtained in Juneau and Skagway um, and at MedEx, how did those prepare you to negotiate and navigate creating a position in Manitoba? Well, one of the things about the medics program was that the founder, uh, Richard Smith, believed that PA should be built into the system and that uh, the clinical placements uh, in the first couple of years of the program were in communities where the legislators were living. So that anytime a bill came up, the legislators knew what PAs were because they've been taking care of them. And that the PA was joined at the hip building on their prior military experience with the community and with the physician and adapting to the needs. And that's what I liked. And that's what I thought would work good in Canada. You know, my experiences in Alaska were long distances, remote communities, you know, high quality medical care, but it just took you about a day to get there, Mm -hmm. Um, which is kind of like Canada in a lot of areas. I mean, we do have some cities in Canada, we have a, but you know, in Manitoba, where I am, we have a population of 1.7 million and a land mass just a little smaller than the state of Texas. We need to be able to put our healthcare workers out in the rural communities. And so when I decided to come back to Canada, I wanted to make a difference with a model that I knew would work. And so I was the fourth civilian PA in Canada, uh, regulated through the college. And so I had an opportunity. It was either sit back or step up. All my life, I've been one of those people, if I have some free time, I'm using it to find another project to work on. Sure. And lo and behold, I ended up working with a group of amazing fellow PAs to help shape the curriculum. We reached out to oh, maybe a dozen uh, programs uh, throughout the states and saying, hey, how do you teach your PAs? We pulled that material together. We threw out the stuff that we thought was, yeah, and uh, put the stuff in it that we felt was uh, valuable. Had some expertise who came in, uh, like uh, Mary Warner came in, took a look at us and said, this is what I would suggest doing. Um, as you know, Mary Warner at that time was from Yale, kind of shaped a lot of the things we did. The military in Canada had PAs. They shared their knowledge, and we kind of shaped a program. And Fantastic. Somebody else came in, was a program director for a few years. Didn't have a lot of experience as a PA, but had educational experience. We were credited by the Canadian Medical Association, didn't do too well, put on probation. And they tapped me on the shoulder and said, we need you to take over while we find somebody qualified to do the job. And so after six months, they decided that I was faking it until I made it. (laughs) And uh, I became the program director uh, for my sins. And you have a long history of leadership at the at the national and I know the local level in, in the Canadian Academy and local professional organizations. One of the things that's required of, of USPA programs is that history of the profession is is taught. And so I think most of our listeners probably have a, a 
a, a good grasp on kind of how the the profession evolved in in the U.S. Tell us a little bit, maybe give us a, a short primer, the the thirty thousand foot primer on really the the evolution of kind of the genesis of the PA profession in Canada and how it has evolved. The Canadian Armed Forces have had advanced care practitioners, um, medical technicians who were providing primary care in adverse situations. For example, during the Korean War, there was a shortage of doctors in uh, battalions. And so the, the PAs or the medical techs stepped up on Navy ships. We had the uh, independent duty corpsmen equivalent that were out at sea. And then they were building a level of expertise in their military medical technicians. They decided that they needed to step up the game and around 84, they adopted the name of physician assistant. They realized they needed to develop more knowledge. In 1999, they forwarded the Canadian Association of Physician Assistants, which incidentally was at the exact same year that the Manitoba College of Physician Surgeons regulated physician assistants. So we had two pathways that was occurring. The military decided physician assistants under the two-year stream was good. A group of senior techs uh, met, as most Canadian projects are, in a garage with a bunch of beer, and they decided, this is how we're going to do it. And so they formed a group. And these amazing people like Tom Ashman, Morris Chapman, Pierre Fontaine, I'm blanking on all the names, please forgive me. I stand on the shoulder of greatness. They set up the Canadian Academy of Physician Assistants which had to change its name to the Canadian Association of Physician Assistants due to federal funding rules and regulations. And so they started lobbying and pushing. And with the support of the Canadian Armed Forces, they built a, um, a relationship with the Canadian Medical Association and with the Royal College of Physician Surgeons of Canada. They networked, they built, and they developed a curriculum and format. And from there... They reached out to the few uh, Canadian civilian PAs, and they reached out to the, uh, the Americans. Uh, they had conferences in the United States like, where they would attend the AAPA conference and have a display and then kind of reach out to expat Canadians. And that's how I got involved with the professional association. I ended up in San Antonio, Texas. I was stopped by the booth and was chatting with them. And people were asking questions about the healthcare in Canada. And this is um, 2004, 2005, when I was practicing in neurosurgery. But I started answering the questions for them because I understood the Canadian healthcare system. And next thing they know, they made me the vice president. And before I know it, I'm ending up as the, the president. And at the same time, we had to move away from the military, it becomes federally incorporated, which allowed us to change the bylaws and reorganize and start building a network and make connections to a lot of other people. And from there, we just grew. We already had developed a national accreditation exam for our graduates. Manitoba decided that they needed to train their own PAs. So we worked on a curriculum. At the same time, McMaster decided that they needed to train PAs in Ontario. Our lobbying efforts were meeting with government officials, and so we got a pilot project introduced in Ontario. They liked them. They really, really liked them, and they decided to fund a university. So McMaster University started 
I'm happy to say two weeks after the University of Manitoba started. And, um, and slowly we started building and expanding the, the, the volume of people we had and the leadership capacity. Uh, people were leaving the military and finding jobs in the civilian sector, which then allowed us to demonstrate that PAs know what we're doing. We can make a difference. So, yeah. Thanks. So, first, congratulations, because I've been so impressed by the Canadian efforts to expand uh, the scope of practice and also the, the recognition across all the provinces. As I understand it, you have practice laws set up or regulations set up in Manitoba, Ontario, New Brunswick, and is it Alberta? Alberta, yeah. Yes. And so you've got a few other provinces to, to tackle. Uh, I see you kind of have a two-front war going on Quebec, Quebec, if I said that more appropriately. Um, <laughs> the Belle Provence. Yes. And then you've got uh, the British Columbia as well and, and Saskatchewan and also the territory. So tell us, where are you at in all those different provinces? How are things going for you in terms of the growth of the profession in Canada? What are your barriers? Well, there are 10 provinces and three territories, and uh, we each of the provinces has its own responsibilities for healthcare professions and also for the administration of the health system. So in Canada, we have a national universal insurance in 13 different jurisdictions, plus the military and forces. So every time that we lobby for physician assistance, we have to go to the, the governments and the organizations like the doctors' associations, the colleges, uh, we deal with the, the nurses. And the, so right now, Manitoba has had regulations since 1999, and the first PA started in 2003. Ontario introduced PAs in 2006-2007, but only recently has developed the legislation that will allow them to regulate the PA profession there. It is not yet regulated in Ontario. Okay. Alberta uh, developed uh, PAs uh, first in 2009, and then last April, uh, April 2021, regulated the profession through the College of Physicians Surgeons of Alberta. We, in 2009, New Brunswick changed their uh, medical act to allow PAs to practice. They only have three in the civilian sector. And then we are, have a demonstration project going in Nova Scotia. Uh, one of the interesting things about Canada is every province always wants to do a new pilot project. They don't trust what any other province has done. <laughs> so in Ontario, they started with a pilot project in emergency medicine and then in long-term care. And then eventually went into family medicine, then into hospital areas and that sort of thing. Uh, Nova Scotia has a pilot project in orthopedic surgery, and it's going over really well because it's solving their needs. Uh, the PAs are the connectors, the communicators. They're providing the continuality of care. They are building relationships and not making the enemies. They are uh, showing that because they are connectors, they can build a team and support the team, which gets all the members of the medical alphabet invested in making it work. Canada, we tend to stand on the shoulders of others to move forward. And we're lucky we have giants to stand on the shoulders of so that we can start making a difference. BC, the first paper I ever read about introducing physician assistants in British Columbia was dated in 
1994. And even though it is a great concept, it is not a priority at this time. That's according to the BC government. Hmm. Doctors British Columbia, um, the associations, the family groups and all this love PAs. They love the concept. We have 35 to 40 PAs living on Vancouver Island, ex-military. They're retired. They want to work. They want to reach out and make a difference. Um, the concept, we have advocates in British Columbia. We have um, champions who've been going forward and trying to make a difference. But, you know, there's politics. Yeah. And you need a, a mass to actually create an influence. And then just as you're starting to get your foot in the door, the political cycle changes. Governments change. Ministers mm-hmm. change. And you're back at uh, step one. Sure. Saskatchewan, what can I tell you? It's not Manitoba. They have their own way of doing things. Um, <laughs> Quebec, there's a lot of interest in Quebec. I've been uh, people have asking us about for our competency profiles, our frameworks, examples of how we would deliver it. How do we work with the medical schools? And we share that. I mean, all the programs share. The nice thing about having three PA programs in Canada, plus the military, is that we know each other. Yeah. And we can all talk to each other on a Zoom screen and not feel too small. Uh, we are able to share information and we will support people who ask for it. And in the territories, are you finding that there, the need is not there or it absolutely is there because of the disparate healthcare? Well, the populations being so spread apart and things of that nature. Um. We have uh, physician assistants working in industrial health in a lot of different communities. And they work closely with the local emergency departments in, say, uh, uh, Whitehorse or um, Yellowknife. They reach out, they so they're aware of PAs, mm-hmm. but they don't know if they can really afford it. There's a lot of different reasons why they, they don't. Uh, you know, we have a, a reality that... Uh, Family physicians are a fee-for-service practice. And so as Eugene Stead said a long, long time ago, if you start taking money out of the wallets of a doctor, they're no longer your friend. Or you take the money out of anybody's wallet, they're not your friend. So all those billing and funding issues have to be settled. And it's a complex system mm-hmm. where we can't just simply cut and paste from um, our American cousins because it... it doesn't necessarily work in the same way and trying to explain that to people uh, is probably one of the biggest challenges. How do we fund PAs? And in the universal healthcare system, we have governments responsible for providing care for all citizens. We know that capitations or uh, salary models work, alternate funding proposals work, but anytime you start producing, say, a class of 15 to 20 students, you're adding up like two, $2.1 million onto the provincial budget. Mm-hmm. So you have to be careful about how you're doing it and how you fund it. And yes, everybody agrees that PAs will add, improve access to care, that PAs will solve a lot of the issues. But then there are other services that, as well. You know, there are nurse practitioners whose laws are slightly different. They, uh, as we all know, it becomes more and more complex. And unless you have degrees in health economics and policy and are prepared to spend time at a national or provincial level lobbying, you can't get an in. Yeah. 
And if we don't have the people to do it, so there's only like 750 PAs in a population of uh, what, 37 million. So I'm good, but not that good. <laughs> so you were trained and worked in a variety of settings in the U.S. healthcare system and certainly you've been entrenched in both the education side and practice in the Canadian system as well. Can you talk a little bit about the primary differences in the way that PAs are utilized, the relationships that PAs have with their the physicians with whom they work? You can just kind of talk about some of the main differences that you have identified. And I know there's wide variability in both systems, but if you were to if you were to kind of at a high level hit hit some of the big differences that you see between the way Canadian PAs work and the way Americans PAs work, what what would those be? Well, the big similarity is the fact that uh, we're all focused on patient care. We're all focused on uh, meeting the patient's needs. The difference is, is that I don't care about the cost. I'm not worried about if the patient can pay us or that if we need something, we do something. Now, there's a lot of stewardship that comes along with that responsibility where you know, we don't order MRIs on the knee. I mean, it's really doesn't add to the decision that uh, needs to be made. We don't have to worry about delaying a diagnosis in order that the 18-year-old kid can qualify for Medicaid or uh, Medicare. One of my experiences in Alaska, we had to deal with somebody who had a uh, Marfan syndrome with a aortic arch that was a little bit too large for uh, everybody's comfort. We spent hours discussing that and figuring out how to best treat the patient. Canada, we say, no, that's fine. Right, bang, here, do this. Here's a consult. This is what's going on. And we just move on with it. An example, um, when I was in neurosurgery, we had somebody from Nunavut who uh, was diagnosed with a uh, brain tumor. Plain, they called the neurosurgeon and said, we need to send this uh, patient down to you. They were on the plane. I was in the emergency department when they came in through the, the door. I got them a, a CT, uh, got the, an MRI ordered, um, called my surgeon, told him what was going on, had the OR scheduled for 10 o'clock after the patient was originally told we were coming to him at less than 12 hours before. Surgery was done. Patient was taken care of. Discharge one week later, sent back. Cost of the patient, zero. Not a single, no copayment, nothing like that. And I remember that distinctly because when I had my health issues when I was in the States, it was like a $5,000 copayment. And it was like $55,000 to get from uh, Juneau, Alaska down to Seattle, get everything done and then and back home. You know, I was lucky. I had insurance um, that would have bankrupt me. The great thing about being a PA in Canada is my students will never have to deal with those type of issues. They, we don't teach about health economics in the micro level, we focus on, this is what we need to be able to do to help the system work. This is why we don't have a lot more PAs and we're focusing money on other things. This is the bigger picture issue. You know, every class we graduate will add so much uh, onto the, the provincial budget and it's small potatoes, but it's something I'm aware of. We. Our universities are not for profit, meaning that to expand our class to meet the demand, I have to go to several different layers within government to get approval to expand the class size. And then I have to deal with the university bureaucracy 
of doing all that. And then I have to, you know, uh, negotiate for clinical sites and all the rest of it. But I also have to worry about, so I graduate these students, will they have jobs? Will the government be able to fund those positions? I think that is kind of the big differences that we face in a under two minute discussion. That's a very different level of complexity for a program director than we experience here. I mean, so there's some similarities for sure, but you you have to go so much deeper in terms of the bureaucracy, as you said, to maintain what you're doing or grow it, which is you know an immense challenge, obviously. Yeah, and then you know the other thing is that the government also decides they like PAs, and they send me an email saying uh, we want you to double the class size tomorrow, and they have no clue that, okay, that means I have to acquire roughly 35 clinical sites and different services. Don't have them. You know, we're, there's only so many uh, training spots for residents, so many for nurse practitioners, and we have to cooperate with each other and uh, to make it work. So, so the thing about being in Manitoba is that there's two degrees of separation. If, if I'm having a problem, I can talk to somebody and they will likely know who's responsible for solving it. It's amazing. I was sitting with a colleague of mine at a tavern discussing the inability to um, get devices for people involved in motor vehicle accidents because the system required it to be signed off by a physician. And we're saying, well, that's adding hours onto it and days, and we're trying to get people discharged. So it's any cost of the hospital. And it's a simple device. And the person behind us turned over, tapped us on the shoulder and says, oh, I'm the vice president of the provincial insurance company. Tell me more about this and how can I solve this? Two weeks later, there was a memo. We didn't have to worry about it. PAs could sign off on it. That's fantastic. I mean, that's Manitoba. It works the other way around too, but you know. Well, and, and then at the, at the outset, as you described the, uh, the start of your program, you've been there. It looks like you've been there about 11 years now. So could you help us uh, understand what the typical curriculum is like and what do you look for in students who are applying to your programs? Oh, the magic question. Um, All right. Our curriculum is almost identical to um, I could probably pass the RPA accreditation standard. Not that I would want to even try. (laughs) But, um, you know, we have uh, uh, basic medical sciences feeding into uh, medical. We have the genetics, complex pharmacology, um, our anatomy classes, uh, uh, cadaver-based. We have a second year that's all clinical rotations. We have uh, set standards. So very similar. So mm-hmm. our students, well, the University of Manitoba, we have a we're a graduate program, the only graduate program in Canada. We require a four-year degree. However, I require a four-year bachelor's degree. It doesn't need to be science. I have some core courses, uh, biochemistry, anatomy, and physiology that are the only courses that have been documented show to make a difference in your learning ability to be a PA. And we've actually demonstrated in the first two years, they did not have a biochemistry requirement and students were failing courses. So we put, we enforced the biochemistry requirement and We've been doing much better. I think we have like a 2.7% attrition rate in our program over 11 years. So not too shabby. Ideal students. They almost have a academic performance demonstrated over a degree. So we're looking for high GPAs. We're looking for people who are more wolf pack than great white shark. 
meaning we don't want people who have uh, eaten other people to get ahead. We're looking for those who have demonstrated that they can work in teams. So students coming into the University of Manitoba have all been uh, team players in sports or research aspect. A third of our uh, intake is graduate levels with um, a high number of PhDs in our, in our program. The community being able to have demonstrated that they've worked for advocacy uh, in a underserved is essential to me. Uh, I want people who know what it's like to be either needing a food. I'm looking for people who uh, have worked on uh, food lines or have worked for underserved. Um, I'm looking for people who have worked in um, counseling, uh, suicide distress lines, uh, student services, uh, who serve the community that we want to serve with our graduates, who understand that making a difference and uh, helping people does not mean that you need to be a physician or a a PA. You can help people as a a crossing guard if you do it right. You know, you can keep people alive. I'm looking for people who are serving the community, who are connectors, who are communicators, who have done something with their lives. They may not have a lot of life experience, but they've done something with the time they've had. And, and was there an evolution, Ian, for you? Uh, and maybe it hasn't changed at all, but I would imagine when you're first starting this and your 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 first few batches of students, you're you know I would presume you were looking for people that could go out and be ambassadors for the profession. So they had to have rock solid team play. They had to have rock solid community engagement, the ability to advocate, um, and and somebody who you'd have complete faith that they would continue to shine a light on the profession so that it could grow. Has that changed at all? Or are you still so youthful as a profession in, in the country that you're still looking for those kind of things? Still looking for it yeah. because um, I'm a believer that PAs are advocates. We are communicators. We are connectors. We Medicine is not simply about writing a prescription on a piece of paper, but saying, hey, you could get these benefits if you did your taxes. So this is how we're going to help you do your taxes. This is how we can help you take better care of yourself. That, you know what, uh, doing a, uh, a Zoom conference doesn't make sense if you don't own a laptop. So, but you have a cell phone. So why don't you call me instead of having to spend, what is it, four twenty-five to get here and back on a bus? It's probably closer to $7 now. It's been a while. But so reaching out and people who are innovative and can think outside the box. One of the biggest changes that had since um, we started writing the curriculum is we used to have a requirement for clinical experience. But we've changed that to you have to have an experience with people. Because one of the things I did discover is if you are a customer service agent and you're dealing with a lot of angry people, like if you work for an airline, Man, you have skills, you have conflict de-escalation, you have skills that they won't teach you in any paramedic program or nursing program or respiratory therapy program. And I have discovered that even though I went to medics where if you didn't have eight years of clinical experience, you didn't have a chance of getting in, that experience dealing with people means a lot more. And so that's what I'm looking for. Yeah, I kind of like them to know that blood is red and that um, 
you know, error goes around and round and all bleeding stops eventually. And, you know, having that, that type of knowledge, but in essence, being able to walk into a room with a total stranger and striking up a conversation and finding out who they are and what's going on in their life to hear that narrative, that patient narrative, to understand the issues that they're dealing with will make you a great PA. I can teach you how to be a good PA, but you need to be able to come in with the ability to be a great PA. So, so being sibling countries on the same continent, uh, I hear oftentimes questions about, you know, the ability for American students to apply for Canadian PA programs or Canadian students to apply to American PA programs. And likewise, graduates to work in their the uh, respective countries. Can you talk a little bit about kind of that transportability of both kind of educational opportunities and work opportunities between countries to your to your knowledge? Canadian uh, educated PAs are not allowed to work in the United States. The ARC PA does not provide accreditation of any non uh, US program. So our graduates have a skill set and skill knowledge. Uh, but with issues of immigration and with the certification, they're not able to to work in the States. Canada had, for the first 10 years of our uh, developing, a shortage of physician assistants. And so we reached out and retract, uh, attracted them. The College of uh, Physician Surgeons in Manitoba still allows Americans to who are certified to apply for jobs, which allows our uh, Canadian citizens who pay the exorbitant uh, amount of tuition that you guys charge to get their education in the United States and then return to Canada and, and work. I'm not really interested in advocating and promoting and pushing that because I'm training Canadians for Canadians or I want Manitobans to work in Manitoba. I know it would be attractive for students to try experiencing in the United States for a while, but that's not really my thing. I, I want people who are more interested in working with the First Nations communities or uh, dealing with the underserved in uh, Winnipeg or Brandon or Toronto or Toronto. And that's where I want them. How about salary differences? Is if, if the U.S. opened up and allowed Canadian trained PAs to come to the U.S., if they could get nationally certified by the NCCPA here, would that be... A, a real challenge for your work because the salary differences are, are so great that it might attract more Canadians to come down to the U.S. or am I misrepresenting what's really going on? The starting wage for a graduate from my program is about $83,000 Canadian. It tops out around $125,000. Uh, cost of living is better. Uh, you guys pay more in taxes than we pay in healthcare. You know, the if you add on the cost of what American healthcare costs, it's dramatically higher than what I, I pay in taxes here in Canada. Uh, so understanding the differences between the two of them, I don't know why anybody would want to live down there in the States. I mean, come on, guys. Uh, I'll find jobs for you. Come on up here. Make it. I mean, honestly, depending on which party is in play, they're always saying, hey, let's, you should move to Canada. And I think Canada is saying, no, we're good. We're, we're fine. Stay right there. Um, a few years ago, the number of letters and emails I was getting from people saying, are there jobs for us <laughs> up there was really quite high. Like November, they were averaging about 10 a week. Oh my goodness. Wow. Yeah. 
I, I have a lot of friends who would like to come up here. <laughs> That's great. I, I will say, having lived in Phoenix, we had 17,000 expats from Canada that would, would spend time, that lived in the Phoenix area. So, oh, yeah. I, you know, and, and I know down in South and Central America, it's very popular for the Canadians as well. So my guess is it's your chance to thaw out and then you head back north for the, the good food and, and health care. Yeah, for the real football and... Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Ian, I just have to... First, I want to congratulate you on on really, you know, as we've watched you from down south, uh, I think you've done such amazing work for the profession up there and, and have been such a friend to the your cousins down here. And it's been a pleasure watching your country grow. And, and I just said this to one of my bosses the other day. We were talking about Canadian PAs, and I just said how impressed I am by your social media uh, work across the country. And, and the messaging that you all are doing to try to increase the profession across all the provinces and territories. So congrats. Well, we have some truly amazing people who uh, understand the value of uh, communications and connections and the use of the social media. Very, very impressive. Uh, every year, you know, I have 15 students. I would say five of them could get jobs in media relations. They are so good in, in what they do. It is not something I need to worry about uh, for attracting new students and applicants to the program. And the big issue is, are we getting to the right people? Are we reaching the politicians who can make the decisions or the civil service that can actually make the decisions that the governments will approve? So um, there's so much awareness of politics required to promote a profession in a country. You know, the, our experiences in watching and observing the things that have happened in around the globe, like why do some programs grow like the ones in Britain and the Netherlands, uh, but yet other programs don't seem to get going, even though the model is just as good and just as valuable. And anyone who, who's involved in PA education or reads any of the journals knows which countries I'm talking about. So, Well, Ian, thank you so much for joining us today. It was truly interesting to hear how the profession has evolved and some of the challenges that you face and some of the opportunities that PAs in Canada have. So thanks for being with us and good luck in the future. Happy to be here. I just want to give a shout out to somebody who actually really, another person who uh, influenced my life. That was Rod Hooker. He bought me lunch in San Antonio, sat down, told me to get off my butt and start writing papers and start doing research. And he's always been a mentor and a supporter. And I tell you, Rod has been a huge influence and supporter of Canadian PAs. He's always been there when anybody asks him a question. I've got to be honest, he doesn't always give the right answer, but he's always there. Uh, and I utmost respect for the man. He, he's, he, you guys have something truly remarkable in that man. I think, you know, your, your observation about Rod is, is the same observation we keep hearing from other guests related to the, you know, the Ruth Balwigs of the world, the James Colleys of the world, oh, yeah. Tony Millers. I think, and it's interesting to see that in Canada, you have the same sociologic band, it seems, because of the collaborative nature of your programs. And, and I certainly think our profession grew because of that willingness to share and lack of ego, lack of concern about people. You know, they, they were actually encouraged to copy and make it better. So I, I'm excited. I think you'll have a great, great path forward for your country. Yeah, it's we've come a long way. It's slow. But when you've been there from the beginning, 
when there was like literally four of us in Manitoba to now we've got about 150 practicing. Yeah, it makes a difference. Well, we want to thank Mr. Ian Jones for his time and insights into the development of the PA profession in Canada. His insights on where they are and where they are heading provide us all food for thought as we see the profession grow with our cousins to the north. Tune in next week as we speak with Dr. Lisa Mastone-Alexander as we discuss the development of the PA profession in Ireland. Dr. Alexander is currently a professor in the Department of PA Studies at the Royal College of Surgeons in Ireland and the director of their Physician Associate Program, but is also well known to American PAs from her decades-long leadership at the George Washington University PA Program. Until next time, we wish you success with whatever path you are walking in life, and thank you for joining us. The purpose of this podcast is to provide news and information on the PA profession and is for informational purposes only. The views expressed in the podcast are those of the hosts and guests and do not necessarily reflect the official position or policy of the University of Arizona.